Well, today, our study again continues here in this book of Luke, chapter 2. As Mary and Joseph and this new baby Jesus return to Nazareth. Now, before this has taken place, though, much has been happening with this little family since they journeyed down from Nazareth to Bethlehem to register for the census. A lot of strange and wonderful things, things that have never happened to anyone else and will never happen uh, to anyone else in the future. The little baby Jesus had been born there in that stable. Then the holy angels came and declared his presence to those shepherds out there in the field. And then the shepherds came and visited the newborn king there in the stable. And then after an appropriate number of days had passed since the baby was born, and in keeping with the commandments of the Jewish law, you'll recall that Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus to the temple for the necessary circumcision, and then again later to present the offerings required under the Mosaic law. And on that occasion, while they were there in the temple, you'll recall that they encountered two very special people, Simeon and Anna, who praised and worshiped the baby Jesus, declaring him to be the Messiah, the King of glory, that God had long promised to send to redeem his people Israel. And though earlier the angel of the Lord had told Mary and Joseph all about this very special baby, Mary and Joseph, and especially Mary, still did not fully comprehend what was taking place. And it's said here that they marveled at each of these things as they took place. And then Mary was treasuring them up and pondering them in her heart. And we'll say that on other occasions. So then after all of these things, we find then that Mary and Joseph simply returned home and got back to their daily lives, raising this new blessed and mysterious child that God had brought to them. Let me read these verses for you. There's only two. Verse 39 so when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now these words are very simple, but I must confess to you that they are also some of the most difficult and profound words for me to comprehend especially verse 40, listen again. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, why would these words be difficult for me to comprehend? It's because after all of the study that I've done throughout these scriptures for all these many years, I know that while these words are telling us about this little baby, just a few weeks, perhaps a few months old, they are also speaking about the all-knowing and the, the omnipotent God of the universe, the very one who had, in the beginning of time, actually created everything that exists. He had created the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth and even the very ground that Jesus would grow up to walk on. It's an amazing thought. And it's this little baby. But here in these words, although he is the one that created all things. Here in these words, it's being implied that he's weak. 
And he's in need of growing in strength and wisdom and in need of help from the grace of God. Listen to these words again carefully. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now it would seem that those words would more aptly be used to describe the growth that would take place within an ordinary child. A child perhaps like you and I were. And not within the very God of all creation. For that reason, you and I must understand that we are being invited by these words to dig deeper into each one of these words and each one of these phrases and ask in our minds, how can this be? What exactly, Lord, do you mean when you say that this child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him? Let me suggest that there's a divine secret that God is whispering to us that says to us that there is so much more residing within this little child, this person, the Lord Jesus, than we could ever imagine. He is, as these scriptures tell us, both the Son of God, but also he's the Son of Man. He is the Son of God, but he's also the Son of Man. And it's a mysterious combination, but it's one that God wants you and me to know more about. There's a human heart and mind and soul residing within that little child's fleshly body. But there's also another more unique and wonderful eternal being residing there. It's God himself. The almighty and omnipotent God of all the earth is also present within the heart, the soul, the mind, the body of Jesus. And it's been there every moment since conception. As Christians, you and I have read these words over and over again we've been taught them in our Sunday school classes and in Bible studies. They're so familiar. And then our response then is often just, well, I believe that. But folks, let me remind us, truths such as these cannot be fully comprehended merely through our study and our reflection. No matter how diligent we are in our efforts, something else Something else far stronger than intellectual thought must be present before you and I can truly grasp the deeper truths within these words. These words are some of those secrets of the kingdom that God speaks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Truths that God only reveals to those who love him. And he tells us that. Listen to these words, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. As it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. In other words, what he's saying to us is you can sit here and listen to what I'm saying for hours on end and try to analyze the words and intellectually understand them. And you will not, I will not. He's saying to us, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Unless the Holy Spirit is residing within us and explaining it to our spirit, we're not going to understand any of these words. Not well, not well at all. The mysterious wisdom of God is veiled from most all ordinary human understanding. 
But as we read in these words here, it's freely revealed to us by God's Holy Spirit. And it only has one requirement from us, only one requirement from us, and that is that we love him. He says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. The requirement of you and me is that we love him and he'll make these secrets spiritual wisdom. He'll make them known to us. He'll explain these secrets to us, and especially this one of how this little baby can be both son of man and son of God. And there really is a difference. Those spiritual secrets are being taught to us here in these words, and they tell us about a concurrence that's taking place. It's a concurrence of being and of events, and it's a unique union that resides within the heart, soul, mind, and body of Jesus. And it's a union like no other union that ever exists in any other human being. The union that would cause a son of man, a human being, an ordinary child, to be able to grow up and live daily in a perfect concurrence with the will of God. That's what he's telling us. Listen to verse 40 again. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now a question arises. But why was all this necessary for God who created everything that exists then to come and join together with the flesh of common man? Why would that be necessary? And that's a question that theologians have wrestled with for all these many centuries. And I personally don't know all that I would like to know about it. But one answer that God's given to me, and it's a very simple one. It's a simple answer. Jesus as the omnipotent Son of God, could not die for our sins. He is eternal, without beginning and without end. But Jesus, the Son of Man, could die. He could die. And that became God's plan in the birth and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And praise be to God, Jesus was faithful to complete his part of that plan. Folks, it seems that for us, we're too often prone to question these words that we read with doubts that abound within us, within our minds. The greatest obstacle that you and I will have to overcome is a simple acceptance through faith that Jesus really is all that he is said to be within these scriptures. He truly is the Son of Man, and he truly is, at the same time, the Son of God. Once we've done that, once we have, by faith, freely accepted those truths about the Lord Jesus, then we can begin to consider a question such as these that we're considering today without doubting. We can consider these without doubting. Questions like, if Jesus truly is the Almighty God, eternal, as a man, then why would he need to become strong in spirit? Let me ask that again. If Jesus truly is the Almighty God, then why as a man would he need to become strong in spirit? Is he not already strong in spirit? And why would he need to be filled with, uh, with wisdom? As God, he is, is he not already strong in spirit and filled with wisdom? He is omniscient. Did he not bring all of those attributes with him from heaven as he came to inhabit the body of that little child? Let me pause here for a moment and ask you, have you ever considered that? As Mary and Joseph looked at that little baby lying there in a manger, 
That little baby looked just like any other baby that you would see. But that was also the Almighty God who created everything that exists. Questions like these. Is Jesus truly the omnipotent God of the universe? They're answered clearly for us several places in the scripture. Let me read one of those places. This is in Hebrews chapter 1. Listen to these words. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, the Lord Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also, listen, he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He not only created this universe, he keeps those clouds flowing out there. He brings the rain. He feeds the animals, the birds of the air. You recall in Psalm 103 or 104, when the lion comes out and roars, he's asking God for his food. Folks, all those things are true. They are in the scripture. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power, every moment of it. This is the Son of Man and the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, both at the same time. He is the Son of Man and the Son of God. From all eternity past, he was the omnipotent God of the universe. Jesus was and is expressed image of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all at the same time. And no, we don't understand that. But it's true. And he's told us that. One of the commentators, R.C. Sproul, explains this mysterious oneness of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existing within one person in God. He says that three distinct persons are the one divine nature in its entirety. The Father possesses all that makes God who he is. The Son possesses all that makes God who he is. And the Spirit possesses all that makes God who he is. We do not worship three gods, each of whom has his own power, his own intelligence, and so on. Instead, we worship three persons who hold in common the same power, the same intelligence, and the same essence. They are three in one. And that was so within the heart and soul and body and flesh of this little baby. And so as we study these scriptures, we find that even beginning there, within the person of this very small baby, resided all the essence and the being of this omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God over all things. And so, as we consider the question that we began to consider a moment ago, and I hope I have not confused you so far, but as we consider the question that we began with a moment ago, is Jesus truly the almighty God? If he is, then why as a child and then as a man would he need to become strong in spirit, filled with wisdom? As God, is he not already strong in spirit and filled with wisdom? Did he not bring all of those things with him when he was born there and placed in that manger? Folks, I must confess to you that these are questions that you and I will probably still be asking when we go to glory. But we do know some answers. As the Son of God, Jesus could have brought all of those attributes of God with him into his birth and into his life here in his human form. 
But just simply put, it seems that to be a son of man, yes, he was son of God, but to be a true son of man, it was best that he did not bring all of those attributes with him. And he did not. Somehow, when he came, he laid that aside. And I accept that. And again, while these truly are mysterious questions, I believe that God really nonetheless wants you and me to understand as best we can what we're reading here. So for today, as we ask for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, we want to walk away from here today knowing more about who He is as the Son of Man. We know Him as the Son of God who created everything, but we want to know more of, about Him as the Son of Man. And so we'll repeat some of the things that I just got through saying, but ask the question again. Could Jesus not have brought his power and his majesty with him into this human life? And so one part of that answer is no. No, because were he to have done that, he would not have been able to be tempted even as we are. We're told that in uh, the book of Hebrews. He would not have been able to suffer the sufferings of men and then die on the cross as our substitute to save us from our sins. Let me read some verses for you that declare that. This is Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself, listen, this is how he left some of that understanding as he came to earth. But he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And then in Hebrews 4, he tells us, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So then, yes, Jesus was truly the omnipotent God of all creation. But somehow, and we don't know how he did it, he willingly laid aside his power, his glory, and his majesty there in heaven to come down and to live among us, becoming like us, in order that he might fully suffer all of the sufferings of mankind, and yet without sin. But to do that, he really did need to be born of woman, born under the law, and under the same conditions that all other men and women are born. And so no, Jesus did not bring all of those attributes with him. He came to us as a weak and a frail child. The son of God, yes, but within the heart and the soul and the mind and the body of a son of man. Recall again also that when an angel Gabriel had first come to Mary about Jesus, he said, Behold, you'll conceive in your womb and you'll bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. These words affirming that yes, he is son of God. But it also tells her that he's going to be her son, completely and fully human. But he would also be the son of the most high God, making him both son of man and son of God. So another question, why is Jesus even presented to us as the son of God? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Uh, he tells us in Isaiah chapter 9 that Jesus is also the everlasting father. Listen, these words in Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Folks, Jesus existed in heaven from all eons past as one and co-equal with God the Father and God the Spirit. But for Jesus to become the Messiah and able to be the sacrificed lamb who would take away the sins of the world, it was necessary for him to be begat into his human condition as a son of man. But again, the question, why would God even want to do such a thing to begin with? To become united with mankind within the human body. And the reason is that God needed to remedy the problem of mankind at its very source. At its very source. Sin had its origin within the hearts of men and women. So there's where God would need to go to remedy that problem. But our problem is not an easy problem to fix. And it's not as if God could simply wave his hand. Too often our liberal preachers want to give us the understanding that God will just simply tell us it's okay. He cannot just simply wave his hand and make all of our sins go away. God's holiness is pure and it's not such that he can be so permissive with sin. Sin is so utterly wrong and so much in violation of God's holiness that it cannot be simply swept under the carpet and forgotten about for all eternity. God's holiness demands that there not even be the tiniest particle of sin left remaining within us, else we will not be able to enter heaven. Let me say that again for us. His holiness is such that there cannot even be the tiniest particle of sin left remaining within us. It needs to be justified, to be wiped away just as if it had never happened. And that can only be done by paying the debt of sin in full. And that's why Jesus said that on the cross. He used a Aramaic Greek expression, teleestai, paid in full, just as with your or my common debt. If a payment is paid, given in full and paid in full, then our creditor has no further claim against us. And that's so with sin. If our sin is paid for in full, then the law has no further claim against us. But as you and I know, listen, as you and I know, we personally cannot pay that kind of penalty for us. We cannot pay it in full because the penalty for sin is death. It's eternal death in the pit of hell. And if we pay that penalty, then we will perish forever. So in order that we might have eternal life, God came to earth in human form to live and to grow and then to die our death for our sin and to wipe it all away. And it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Let me say that again. In order that you and I might have eternal life, God had to come to earth in human form as the son of man to live and to grow and to die for our sins and to wipe them away. And know this solution that God provided is not a simple one. It's not simple at all. And it doesn't make the best of sense to us. But that's because we can't truly fathom the holiness of God and what that holiness demands. Sin is too simple and God's holiness is too demanding for us to ever fully comprehend it. But by faith, listen, by faith we can rest in the knowledge that His way was truly the only way to satisfy our debt for sin. That He would come as the Son of Man so that He could die and pay our penalty. As we try to understand these words that we've been reading here, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. 
We might not at this point be able to fully understand it all, but we do know that it was necessary. It was all necessary for Jesus to become a man, the son of man. It was necessary so that he could be like you and me. He could suffer the kinds of sufferings that you and I suffer daily. He could be tempted just as you and I are tempted every day. And then he could grow in spirit and he could grow in wisdom and in obedience, not only to his earthly parents, which scripture tells us that he was, but especially to God the Father. And then that he would die on the cross, wiping away all of the debt that we owed for our sins. It could not have taken place any other way. Yes, he was God, but to cleanse us from our sin, he had to become a son of man. Listen to these words again. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Let's pray.